Yeah, so, hey, we just want to say a special to moms. Thank you. My mom, if you're watching, hi, mom. Uh, thanks for being here, and happy Mother's Day. Like, it's just, yeah. it's like, it's, it's, uh, I've, I've watched Brenda. It's a lot of work, and here's the deal. You're doing a good job. Yeah. You're doing a good job. Even if you don't feel like you're doing a good job, you're doing a good job. The kids are alive. You're like, you made it here. It's a big day, like, right? That's Sometimes right, right. That's the, yeah. And today, we really want to bless and encourage you and remind you like what you do is important, but it's not who you are. Like as Michael and I were talking and preparing this message, that was something God really put on my heart. As moms, so often we think that what we do is who we are. Obviously our role as moms is really important and who, we God, who God says we are is even more important. So we're excited to share some stuff with and you it's, today. It's cool how God, how God has chosen you to actually be a parent. Yeah. He's chosen you. Like he knew, he knew you could do this, and he's giving you the resources that you need to do it well. Um, a few years back, uh, I began to learn about my great-grandmother on my mom's side. Uh, I learned that she was a church planner and a pastor in Salem, Oregon, which is, ended up being close to where I went to uh, high school and college. And at one point, my mom said, hey, I found several of her journals. Do you want to read them? And I'm like, yes, I want to read those. That's pretty cool. And she was, she was like writing every single night when they met together as a church, like who was there and different things that God did and how he healed people. And I'm reading through, I'm like on the third journal, and I saw prayers for me while my mom was a little girl. And like... It just like undid me, and yeah. I just, I just, re, I just I, like God is so faithful mm-hmm. in our lives for things that we haven't even thought of yet or dreamed of yet. And the when and as we pray for one another, as you as parents pray for generations that are going to come after you, God actually really does some stuff. Yeah. And then here's my suggestion: write it down and hope they find it someday because it's really meaningful. It's pretty cool. I Absolutely. love it. All right, so here's what we want to do. Uh, I asked Becca to pick a passage. Uh, So we're taking a break from our series on Mark, and we're going to be in John chapter 10. And what we wanted to do was we wanted to talk about what does it mean to actually live a flourishing life, whether you're a mom or whether you're not. Like for anybody in the room, what does it mean to live a flourishing life uh, alongside Jesus? Um, You might not realize it, but that's the picture of all of Scripture. And so the first five books of the Bible, uh, we we might call the Pentateuch, uh, the Torah, as it was known in Jewish literature, uh, actually talks about that and sets it up. God chooses a people for himself and begins to teach them how to live a flourishing life. And the whole thing boils down to the basic view of that good life is obedience to God will get you a flourishing life. The righteous get to experience blessing and the wicked are cursed. And then as you go through the scriptures, the wisdom literature, especially like Psalms and Proverbs, um, what, what they do is they, they, detail, they give detailed attention to human nature and, and what well-being looks like and then there's real specific guidance towards the good life. So mm-hmm. living that good life, Psalm 1 is an introduction to the Psalms and it says living the good life is to be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither. I taught this in detail a couple weeks ago. Uh, you can read, you can, if you binge watch our stuff. That's right, just binge a bunch of sermons. If you're those, one of those three people and my mom who binge watches our stuff then you can uh, do that. <laughs> she got two shots out. Like that's the first time, that's like a big in a deal. year. See how many uh, times you can deal. shout her out. I don't fun. think she actually watches this. 
but uh, <laughs> I'll send her a link this send time. Her a link. Um, and then, as part of that wisdom literature, Job uh, asked the question: Why those who are righteous suffer? And why, you know, those who are trying to follow God do that? And what he learns is that many of our experiences are mysterious, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that totally goes beyond human comprehension, and we're invited in faith in God rather than faith in our ability to figure it all out. And then the Old Testament introduces this Hebrew concept of shalom, which is translated as peace, meaning that all things are as they ought to be. Physically, things are as they ought to be. Relationally, things are... Uh, like all of human existence is actually working well. That's the idea of shalom. All of that is aimed at what is a flourishing life and how do you get there, right? And then we go into yeah. the Gospels. And then we head into the Gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are known as the Gospels. And in there, we're introduced to something called the kingdom of God. If you've been here before, I'm sure you've heard us mention the kingdom of God. And so what is that? The kingdom of God is his rule and reign that is manifested in the person of Jesus. And through Jesus, what he does is he reorients our lives so that God is actually in control. The entire humanity is under his rule, right? And this order change will one day result in a new creation. And that new creation, it's incredibly large, gigantic things like rewriting the entire universe, as well as the tiny, intricate details of our everyday lives. The kingdom of God is truly an incredible thing that we get to experience a piece of here and now. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk Mm -hmm. about the kingdom. John talks about eternal life or abundant life, and he's talking about the exact same thing. It's all tied together with loving Jesus, abiding in him, and keeping his commandments, just as the Father and Son are one. Like, we're meant to be one with them and with each other. And then John makes this statement as he prays, like right before he faces the cross. He says, now this is eternal life. And you could also say, now this is the kingdom of God. Or you could say, now this is a flourishing life. That they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And that knowledge isn't just like reading about him in books. That knowledge is an experiential knowledge that we actually know something. And so today what we want to do is we want to look at this passage in John uh, 10 that has this line in it. Uh, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so when we read about full life, we're talking about something that is considerably more than you would ever expect or even imagine. And I don't know about you, I can imagine a lot. (laughs) I've got a vivid imagination. I can imagine a really lot of stuff that make a full life. What Jesus is talking about here is that he has come so that we might have life beyond what we'd expect, beyond what we'd anticipate, over and above, more than enough, kind of an extraordinary kind of life. And so what we want to do to start with is kind of read that passage in context and then explain it a little bit and talk about what that means. Because it seems too good to be true. It seems way too good to be true. So, Becca, let's go ahead and read that passage. Let's do it. If you have your Bible, um, you can turn. It's on page 732. And I'm going to be start reading in verse 1. This is verses 1 through 18. This is Jesus talking. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees. He's talking to the Pharisees. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name 
and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as a father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep and they are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. We should get like a tape of you just reading books to us. <gasps> okay, sounds really fun. <laughs> Put everyone to sleep at night maybe? No. Right, but so here's the thing, right? As Michael was talking about, this idea of the good life that sounds too good to be true. Like the deal is, if we're really honest with ourselves, we hear this thing, the good life, right? We all want that. We want the good life. Here's our problem. In our society, in our kind of normal way of thinking, if we're really honest with ourselves, and for many of us, this isn't like a conscious thing that we think or say, but we want the good life without Jesus. We think, we say, we show up at church, totally want the good life with Jesus, but do we? Do we really? Like this idea of flourishing that Jesus talks about is incredible. Like Michael talked about in Psalm 1, right? Like the tree planted by streams of living water. That sounds amazing. We want it all. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we like want something. We want to be in control of that thing that we want. And frankly, we want to control the journey to get to the thing. And that's even permeated throughout our world, right? If you want something, think it into being, go for it, do all of the things. That's not actually the message that Jesus has for us. We want to be in complete control. (laughs) That's not at all what he invites us into. No. So when you're looking at scripture, one of the things that's really helpful is to put the thing in context. So in this passage, right at the very beginning, in the first sentence, Jesus is saying that he's talking to the Pharisees. Why is he talking to the Pharisees? Well, you have to go back before this to see what's really going on. And so Jesus, what he says here about the sheep and him being the shepherd and him being the gate, it comes right on the heels of a confrontation. And so you have to go back to the beginning of chapter nine to understand the context of that. If you have your Bible, flip back to verse one in chapter nine. And it says that as he went along, that's talking about Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, the the view that they have is that if they're experiencing something less than perfect shalom, something less than the good life, 
Someone somewhere must have done something wrong and that's why we're being punished. We often think the same thing today. That's right. Like, do you ever go out in the winter? Did this happen to you this year? You go out and you go to start your Jeep and nothing. It's just nothing. And you think, God, what are you doing to me? Like, what are you trying to say to me? I've never thought that. You never thought that? <laughs> of course no, I have. Like, that's the thing that we do a lot. Yeah. Sometimes, like, I've had lots of conversations with a lot of you guys, and there's times where something negative happens, and you think, yeah, I, I probably deserve this. Yeah. Which is exactly what the Pharisees and the disciples are doing here. Jesus responds that there's no direct correlation, and then he heals the man. Skip down to verse 13. They brought to the Pharisee the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him uh, how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, that man's not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others asked, well, how can a sinner perform such a sign? So they were divided. So because this healing broke one of their God-given rules, they make the assumption Jesus is obviously not from God. So they continue to challenge the blind man about Jesus' identity. And now they're challenging all sorts of stuff about the blind man. Maybe he was never born blind. Like, they're just really raking him over the coals. Verse 30, the man answered. Now, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know... This guy begins to instruct the Pharisees. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this, to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? Actually, what he said made total sense. But because it's a confrontation, they totally throw him out. Right? These Pharisees, Michael, it's like they're the worst. Or we can think that, like, dang, these Pharisees are the worst. And what do they do? As the blind man challenges them as they're talking with Jesus, like, what do they do? They throw him out, and they say that he is steeped in sin. Guys, I know that sounds really extreme, but we got to be honest. There are some of us that do the exact same thing to the people around us, When God doesn't fit into our boxes, when he doesn't do things the way we want him to do, then we, or they got what they deserved, they, right? Yeah. Oh, that happened to them, right? Yeah. Because look what they did. Their life, the things, the patterns that I see, that's why they got what they deserved. Yeah, that's crazy. So Jesus finds a man who's been born blind. He's here, he hears that he's been thrown out, and he discloses to this man that he's the son of God, that he's the Messiah. Some of the Pharisees had been following the guy around because they're hoping to find Jesus, and and then what he says to them is what we read in, verse, in chapter 10. He's talking directly to the Pharisees, and he's using all these various metaphors of sheep versus shepherd. And then, so like the Pharisees, we try to get close to God by just following the rules. Exactly, right? Like, we think if we just work really hard, if we're perfect at following the rules, like, everything will be fine, Right? But here's the deal, like, perfect life following rules. Let me talk specifically to moms again, right? We think, okay, I have to teach my kids some really important stuff, right? And we do, we teach them rules. We teach them things like look both ways when you cross the street or wear a helmet when you ride your bike. Those rules are really good things, right? 
But that actually doesn't lead them to a flourishing life, right? As parents, we don't say, you know what I want for my kids? I want them to be really good rule followers. That's my whole goal. Yeah. I just wanted to follow all the rules. Was that your goal with your kids? Yeah, exactly. That's not actually what we want, right? We say, I want them to have a good life. I want them to have a flourishing life. And here's the deal. Rules are good, right? Rules like that keep our kids from things like getting hit by a car or a concussion or things like that. But that's not actually a flourishing life, right? And this whole deal, like as we talk about it and as we think about it, right? In the Old Testament, there are a whole bunch of rules, right? And we talk about Jesus as like coming and bringing God's kingdom. And actually Jesus says, he doesn't come to like rewrite or be like, forget all those rules. He actually comes, what he says is to fulfill those rules. Here's what he says in Matthew 5 verse 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, right? And we'll get into in a minute how breaking the rule on the Sabbath actually ends up fulfilling the law. But for you, maybe it's not breaking the rules. Yeah. Maybe that's not like a thing that kind of takes you off track. Maybe the good life for you comes through, I don't know, just more food. Yeah. Right? I'm hungry. Maybe like, I, I need that little bit of ice cream mm. and that little bit of chocolate at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. And then I'm so afraid of not having it that I hide chocolate all over the house so that I just make sure that it's there when out. I need it, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. And so your kids don't find it and you That's just right. need it. Or maybe like, I don't know, maybe you're at like a Mexican restaurant and they bring out all those tortilla chips and you're just so hungry because you haven't eaten all day so you just keep eating the chips and... You don't actually wait for lunch, and this might sound really specific because maybe this is a thing I did (laughs) earlier this week, right? Or like Michael was saying, we hide food or we just think like, right, we use different things to fill us. Sometimes, frankly, I don't think we talk about or consider this whole idea of having too much of what we consume. And And for some of us, it is things like food. For some of us, it's things like shopping. For some of us, it's what we like watch online or it's social media or it's all sorts of things. And for some of us, frankly, it's like, you know what? I made it through the day. Good job, me. I just need that glass of wine. Oh, my kids, I just, I, I need a glass of wine, right? Two. And then it's two. And then that's not enough, right? Or it seems like we don't even realize as we consume stuff, if we're not careful, these things we consume will actually consume us. Mm-hmm. For some of us, we actually don't consume all that stuff. Hold on, we've got something for everyone here. Maybe it's your mind. (laughs) Really? I'm good, I don't do anything, any of those things. Look at me, Becca, guys, we all do a thing. Maybe it's the things that you think about and where your thoughts go. Maybe you imagine cheating on your spouse. Someone's really nice to you at work and you're like, oh, I wonder what it'd be like to be with them. Or maybe it's like imagining a totally different life. Maybe someone's hurt you or betrayed you and you think of ways you could just like hurt them back. Hmm. Or maybe for some of us, we like watch a movie and imagine ourselves in like a really epic romance or whatever, right? We can get so lost in our thoughts that we're not actually present to the rich, full, and fulfilling life God has for us in the here and now. So wait, wait, were you saying that wanting to hurt them back is not a good thing? I mean, no, I think there's lots of places in the Bible, Michael, where it talks about that. Specifically, we could write a whole different sermon about that and talk about that, we won't, we'll focus, right? We can miss this flourishing life by taking control ourselves and desperately trying to fill ourselves up with more and more and more 
And we think these things will satisfy, but guys, that's also why we need more and more and more. I'm reminded of that Hamilton song, for those of you that have seen it, I will never be satisfied. I will never be satisfied. I can't sing. We will never be satisfied by these things, right? Yet, in the middle of all this confusion, okay, guys, can you take us somewhere else? Hold on. In the middle of all this confusion, we have John 10, and Jesus is pointing us right back to himself as the source of this good and flourishing life. So in the Gospel of John, there's actually seven times where Jesus makes an I am statement. Uh, There's also seven miracles that he does. There's like, the Gospel of John is brilliantly written as a story. So it starts in John 6, I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the gate for the sheep and the good shepherd. Two of those appear in this passage. Mm -hmm. I'm the resurrection of life, I'm the way, the truth, the life, I'm the true vine. These two statements that appear in this passage are really vital. Jesus is saying, by saying I'm the gate, I'm the doorway, I'm the way in, he is saying that he is the personal way in to a flourishing life. It's like all the other stuff, he says, that's all fine, except that I am the way in. He's the gate that you have to pass through. It's one of the most offensively inclusive and exclusive statements that he makes. It's exclusive because there's one way in. There's not a whole bunch of ways in. And it's offensive that way that Jesus would say he's the only way in. And it's offensive because anybody could get through the door. (laughs) The door's open to everyone, whether you like them or not, whether they think like you or look like you or not. Like anybody can do that. And Jesus is telling the Pharisees that they aren't the shepherds they're supposed to be. He's telling them that they are thieves and they can't be trusted. And he says it like nine different ways in those verses. He's making it super clear. And he's saying he knows that because he is the good shepherd. He's the owner of the sheep. And he's the one who's willing to lay down his life to protect them and to nourish those sheep. He's pointing directly to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He's saying, I'm him. And because of him, I lack nothing. And he leads me, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He's the one who refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the very darkest of uh, valleys, I will fear absolutely no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In fact, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows because of you surely because of all that goodness and mercy are actually going to chase after me all the days of my life and I will dwell in your house forever that's what Jesus is pointing to is he's recounting all of this for them and look at everything he says in John 10 to make it possible he starts out with I'm going to tell you the truth and he follows it up with I know my sheep they know me I call them by name It's not just, hey, sheep, come follow me. Hmm. He leads us by going ahead of us. We follow because we know his voice. He himself is our way in. He's our gate. He's our our self-sacrificial good shepherd. He's looking out for our best. He purposefully lays down his life so that we can experience a flourishing life. Listen, the past couple years, there's a few people that have reached out and called me a sheep because I like follow advice and wear a mask from time to time when it was necessary and I needed to. There's no greater compliment they could give me. 
That's how Jesus sees me. The Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, we think being a follower is bad, right? Yeah. Like, being a follower is the thing we're supposed to be. Mm. Being independent, that's actually called sin. <laughs> <laughs> so based on everything that Jesus says here, here's our point. This world, this place where you live, it is a perfectly safe place for you to be. Like you actually have nothing, to, no harm will befall you as you put yourself in God's hands. This is a perfectly safe place for you to be. Isn't that right? I mean, we'll talk about the, all of you that are like, mm-mm, that's just not true. We'll get there, don't worry. John 10, verse 9, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come and go out and find pasture. It's like what he's saying is you'll be able to come and go. And you're going, to have, you're going to be in a perfectly, perfectly safe place because of this. Yeah, and that's like, right, that's what that finding pasture is, yeah. right? It's rest. It's coming back to Psalm 23, right? And like, if we live in this world, if we really believe in our head and our heart that we live in a God-permeated world, if we give God control, the world will become a really safe place. But here's the deal, right? We go, okay, you say that there will be no harm, and that is true, but there is hurt. There's lots of hurt, right? Jesus knows that. Jesus went on the cross for us, hmm. right? He knows what it's like to hurt. He knew the torture and intense pain of being on that cross, yet even the cross didn't harm him. God transformed Jesus' pain and torture there into resurrection, right? Into the hmm. ultimate defeat of death itself. We're vulnerable to hurt, you guys. I'm sure having a conversation one-on-one -on -one with each of you, you could tell me about the hurt you've experienced in your life. We've all probably got our lists. I have been married and divorced. I have been through a foreclosure. I have experienced postpartum depression. And two years ago, I experienced something really, really traumatic that forever changed our family. Never talked about it on the stage before yet. Um, but two years ago, my nephew <sighs> traumatically and suddenly drowned in Lake Superior. You guys, that's not, that's hurt, <laughs> right? And I'll be really honest with you, then I knew in those moments this would forever change my family, and it has. The thing is, in those moments of intense pain, when we're just not sure where to go, I was there. I was angry, I was mad at God. These things that we talked about, about like, God, haven't I just done all the right things? Why is this happening? Haven't my family done all the right things? Why would you do that? So my brother and sister-in-law, I needed help. The reality is sometimes we can't get there ourselves. If you were here last week, you heard Casey talk about the well-worn path to the feet of Jesus. Guys, sometimes we need help getting there. Like I've been following Jesus for over 20 years myself, and yet sometimes I need help. And so when my nephew passed away, I reached out to a friend who had unfortunately experienced child loss herself about 20 years ago. They also tragically and traumatically lost a child, and so I thought, gosh, I'm pretty sure they can help. And what my friend did in those incredibly kind moments is she sat and cried with me. Hmm. She let me process, she let me say all the things that pastors don't say. All those things she let me say. And then what she did was she kindly led me, took my hand and brought me to the feet of Jesus that I didn't want to be at. Let's be clear, guys. And the picture that I felt like God gave me at that time 
as she was praying for me as we sat in his presence together was of like me in a room screaming on behalf of myself, on behalf of my family, why would you do this? I don't even want to talk to you right now. And I saw this picture of Jesus like sitting out on the front porch. Like he was there and he's like, Beck, it's okay that you don't want to bring me into the house right now. That's okay. But what I would do is I would occasionally like open the window and scream at him and shut the window real quick. There it is. I'm just going to yell at you. You don't get to say anything back. And I saw this picture and eventually what happened over time is I held that window open a little bit longer. I would yell, but then I would wait. What are you gonna say in response? You guys, he said incredibly kind things to me. I eventually, metaphorically invited him back into the house and into the different rooms at first, same room, the metaphor could go on, right? Hmm. We're not free from harm, or we're free from harm, but we're not free from hurt. That's the reality. And yet, even in experiencing complete devastation, we can be completely cared for. That's right. right? Yeah. Sometimes we misread some of these passages. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. That's really that's really powerful. I think sometimes we misread some of these passages to assume they promise that we'll always be healed, that we'll never experience any kind of difficulty or pain. But that's not what it's saying at all. The promise in Scripture is that we, isn't that we won't have trials and pain. The promise is that in the midst of trial and pain, we will have unbroken care, and our dependency on God will actually be met with God himself. Mm-hmm. One, one of the prayers throughout my life has been, Lord, keep me in a place where I'm totally dependent on you. Because <laughs> when I think I have all the answers, I really screw things up. But when I'm dependent on you, it's like, that's actually when I make it through some of the hardest, hardest things. That's why Paul, the Apostle Paul, can say, for when I am weak, then I am strong. It's not in spite of my weakness. It's because of my weakness I get to experience his strength. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark. Just think of Mark chapter four. Jesus instructs his disciples to take him across the lake. A storm comes up. The boat's taken on water. Jesus is asleep. They're afraid of drowning. Their whole idea thinks like if the boat sinks, it's the end of the world. But that's not actually true. If the boat sinks, it's the end of the boat. It's not the end of the world, right? What if death, what if even the worst we can imagine, what if death is not the end of the world? Remember Easter? It's not that long ago. What if death is not the end of the world? The struggle that we have is whether or not we actually really believe Jesus. Listen, if you've placed your trust in Jesus, whatever you're afraid of in death is actually not going to happen to you. Let me say it again. If you place your trust in Jesus, whatever you're afraid of in death will never happen to you. Yes, your body's going to stop functioning at some point. You will continue. You will, I love the way the African-American church says, you will transition. You will begin to see things the way that they really are. There is no place where you can be separated from the loving care of God. So let's make that really practical. And uh, we got like a few really practical things that we want to highlight. First of all. Yeah, right. When we talk about this, right, like this temptation to take control, right? It's actually something we see all the way back in the very beginning. It's the oldest temptation in the Bible. Things like when we think others aren't listening to us, like if I can just make them listen. Or things like, well, if something happening isn't happening as fast as it should, I probably just need to do some more work to make it happen. Or when we're overcome with fear of like the worst. Guys, maybe even as I share my story, some of you are going, gosh, that's my worst fear. 
that something would happen to my kids. Like, God still is there. God still is with my nephew. I trust that my nephew is face-to-face with Jesus right now. And I know that still doesn't change the hurt here today, but it's a level of hope and joy that I can cling to because I trust that God is so really good. And the danger is when you take control, then you are all you've got. That's right. And I don't know if you've looked in the mirror lately. It ain't much. <laughs> I, wow, say that, I say that with all the kindness I can muster. Because I look in the mirror and I go, dude, God, you're like, you hit it out of the park Some when you made this guy. Some people are really good looking, though, Michael. I don't know. Yeah, but that's as deep as it goes. And that ain't very deep. I mean, think about it, really, right? Yeah. It should encourage us. I look in the mirror and I'm deeply encouraged. And I look in the mirror and I'm deeply dependent on God at the mm. same time right? Or, so that's the whole thing, control. Or it could be identity. Like, my identity has to be rooted in not what I can do, but in what God can do. Mm -hmm. I am a child of God. (laughs) Like, I'm a son of the Most High who deeply loves me. He's the shepherd. I'm the sheep. My trust is in that. Or, like, the whole thing with voice, like, you know? Yeah, right. And parents, we know this, right? Like, I experience this. I'm the kid's pastor. I see this in Vineyard Kids all the time, parents kind of hiding around the corner, and I'll go and say, hey, is everything okay? They're like, yeah, that's my kid crying. They, they don't see them, right? And they're also trying to hide so they can sneak upstairs, but we know. I don't know how sounds. they do that. There's like 40 kids crying. It is, it is magical, right? It's this <laughs> gift, I think, that God's <laughs> given us. We know yeah. the sound of our kid's voice, or you know, in the midst of a crowded room like this, if your kid were to cry out in the midst of a crowd, you would know. And in the same way that we know the voice of our mm, kids, that's good. Jesus, as our shepherd, calls each of us individually, and he knows our voice personally, not Mm. as a crowd, not as a group, individually, Mm. and he has called us, and he knows each one of us specifically by name. And then in this passage, he talks about the sheep knowing his voice, that that's how he leads us is by his voice. Mm -hmm. It's like learning to discern and hear the voice of God, not just individually, but in community, is so vitally important. It's so incredibly important. Like that whole learning to pray like Jesus class, that's one of the things we talk about. How do you pray along with what God's doing in somebody's life? How do you learn to hear his voice for yourself and for others? It's like it's such an incredibly important thing that we want to continue to dive into because there's so many competing voices inside, internally and externally, all around us. And then the whole idea of the self-sacrifice, it's easy for you to say, self-sacrificial love, right? Yeah. We see Jesus models for us, right? That's the important thing about this passage too, guys. You see that Jesus does all these things. We as sheep, we're just responding to things he's already done. He's mm. the shepherd. And so this idea of self-sacrificial love, he models that for us, right? We don't sometimes because like we're afraid that we'll run out of our own resources. Oh, I can only handle so much. I'm like feeling so depleted, but what if, right in the midst of pouring ourselves up, we can actually trust that God will give us everything that we need and fill us right back up? Like, what if? And what if, like, by doing that is one of the primary ways that God meets us? Parents, we get this, right? You know what it's like to pour yourself out. You know what it's like to be at the very end of your rope. And what if that might just be an opportunity to say, oh, Maybe this is when I need to ask God to fill me back up. I wonder if in some of those moments, and I'm partially saying this to myself right now, I wonder if in some of those moments we use that depletion to say, huh, 
I wonder if I'm pulling from the wrong source here. God, what are you actually going to give me to fill me back up right now? That's good. All right, so then the question for us is, let me end right here. How do we respond? You skip down to John 10, verse 19. I love this. <laughs> the Jews who had heard these words were divided, again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Exactly. Like, if he's not telling the truth, that's exactly who Jesus is. Demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Here's the deal. You got to listen to Jesus. There's a couple responses. What do you say? Hmm. That's kind of a mic drop. Ministry mic drop. time. Ministry yeah, time. Yeah, and so some of this, right? And we, well, let's ask you guys to stand. We're going to head into some ministry time. And something really like practically, sorry, first and foremost, is just maybe as we're talking about this idea of voice and about like Jesus knowing us, knowing us personally, there are some of us, I think, that are like, I actually don't know that I've ever heard Jesus speak to me. And maybe for some of us, we're like, because that's because I've never actually tried because I actually don't have a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe some of us, again, have like strived. We've like tried to follow the rules perfectly. Things have fallen apart. We like have this back and forth with him. And I think for some of us this morning, Jesus really wants to invite you into that perfectly safe place where he's the shepherd of your life. So I just wanna take a moment, if that's you, if you think that might be something, and here's how you might know that the shepherd is speaking specifically to you, you might be having some type of response. Maybe you're getting chills that don't make sense, maybe your hands are kind of sweaty, maybe your heart is beating out of control. Maybe you feel like there's just some thought that's just dropped into your head that says, what if this is actually true? Mm. So right now I just want to pray for us, and we'll go to some other ministry time items in just a moment, but I just want to pray for those of us that maybe really want to be in that safe place that our Good Shepherd wants to offer us. So Holy Spirit, come. Mm. Jesus, I'm not sure I really know you. I'm not sure I've heard you call me by name. And even right now, I'm just not even sure what all this thing of following you might actually look like and allowing you to leave. And yet, today, I'm going to commit to doing the unthinkable, the thing that doesn't make sense, and I want to surrender my life fully and completely to you. Thank you for how you've modeled self-sacrificial love. Thank you for laying yourself down for the pain and torture you experienced on the cross so that I don't have to and that you've forgiven all of my mistakes, all of my sin, all of my bad choices. Today I want to walk in through that gate. That gate is the only way in. I want to walk in there. I want to be part of that flock. I want to be one of your sheep that you've specifically called by name. Would you be my friend? And would you show me what it looks like to live in this crazy world? Would you show me what it looks like to have a flourishing life? Because I sure can't figure it out on my own.
So Holy Spirit, come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you uh, just prayed that prayer of surrender with Becca for the first time, we actually have a resource that we'd love to give you. There's some by the door in the back, and then up here, our ministry, if you're on the ministry team, you can make your way up here. Uh, our ministry team can actually connect you with a little colored envelope that's just got some, uh, it's got a New Testament Bible in it as well as a couple other resources that we would just love to give you as a way of actually beginning a relationship with God. And so if that's something that you're interested in, grab one of those resources either from one of these folks or on your way out the door. And then uh, we wanna pray for a few things. Yeah. And so if any of these things uh, stand out to you, just begin to make your way up here right now. Um, many of us have experienced loss in some of the ways that Becca highlighted. And I think God actually wants to meet us in the midst of that. And it's really important. Like We're, we're not meant to go through uh, that kind of traumatic experience alone. And so if you've experienced loss in that way, uh, in any of the ways that we talked about, would you just allow us to come around you and pray for you and ask God to meet you in the midst of that? Because it's really, really important to not try to wrestle through that alone. It can feel like a really uh, deep, dark uh, hole that you can't climb out of yourself. And then also, for those of you that I, I just, you feel like, you know what, I'm not sure God does know me by name. I'm not sure he does know my voice. If you struggle with kind of just believing some of that basic stuff, like this world is really a perfectly safe place for you to be, then I invite you to come up and get some prayer because I really do believe that he wants to meet us and not just have us live in a place where we have to figure it all out, uh, where we're the only thing in the mirror that can help us and that we, we can't actually reach out and, 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 and experience his grace and his mercy and his peace in our lives in really deep ways. And so these guys are gonna lead us in worship come on up and get some prayer. We'd love to interact with you over what God's doing in your life. Uh, feel free to hang out in here as long as you want. And moms, don't forget, there's a cool little air plant thingy for you. I have you. one more thing. Oh, you have one more share. thing. Yeah, I feel like as I was praying this morning, I mean, it's Mother's Day, obviously, and we've talked a lot about that. Some of us are moms, some of us aren't, but we all have a mom. For some of us, our relationship with our mom is really broken. Maybe it's broken in really big ways, but frankly, maybe it's broken in really small ways. And I don't want to at all discount the big ways the things with your mom might be broken. But interestingly enough, there's this thing that um, we've been looking at as a staff, actually through Emotionally Focused, like Brenda was talking about, that we're doing in June, where it actually talks a lot about our relationship with our mom and how that can cause all sorts of problems in our life. Mm -hmm. It causes anxiety, it causes sickness, it can cause infertility. It can cause a lot of unexpected things that I know even as I say that, you're like, is that actually true? It is actually true. And I bring that up because I think there's some of us that are frankly majoring on the minors, so to speak. That there maybe are some minor things that we just need to get over, so to speak, but we can't do it on our own. And there might be a level of forgiveness God's inviting you into when it comes to your mom today. And again, I do want to come back to, there might be some really big things that have caused pain and hurt and have caused you from distancing from your mom, but I think there are some of us where God's actually inviting us to restore and reconcile some brokenness with our mom. So if that might be you, we would also like to invite you to come forward yeah. for that. So these guys are ladies in worship. Feel free to hang out as long as you want to. Come get some prayer today. Yeah. I think God wants to meet you in some cool ways. Other than that, God bless you. Thanks for coming to the vineyard.